Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I've had so many of those emails too, and you know, I just cut right to it, you know. So do you like to fish? Oh, you do? Oh, well, don't become a guide because you're not well, you are fishing, but you're you know, if you actually like the act of fishing, it's not really for you, you know. I stopped fishing you know, with a rod myself, you know, years ago. But, you know, a lot of the emails are people ask about, oh, I want to, I love to fish and I want to be a guide. Well, those are completely separate things, you know. I think that you have to live a life of fishing and get to a place where it's not that important to me anymore to hold a rod in my hand and actually get to catch a fish. You evolve past that. So what's the next step? The next step is somebody coming on the front of your boat and, they are your rod and your your words to them your guidance to them that's what you're using to fish now i don't know that's kind of how i explain it a lot of times this is david mangum and this is the tom Rowland podcast i had the opportunity to stop through and visit one of my friends, a guy that has been in quite a few films, quite a few interesting shows. He's known. He's known very well, far and wide, as being a guy that pays close attention to details. A lot of people call him a mad scientist of tarpon fishing. He is David Mangum of Shallow Water Expeditions, and really had a good time sitting down and talking to Dave, having caught up with him in quite some time so we had a lot of things to talk about what he's got going on what he's getting ready to do things like what makes him much more than just a tarpon guide he's an artist he's a photographer he's a very creative person and uh, i loved catching up with him and talking to him we also got a how-to tuesday which was really good how to feed a tarpon from his perspective and i really enjoyed that one so if you haven't heard that, you can go back and listen to that. It's already been published. But today's episode is a great conversation with my friend David Mangum of Shallow Water Expeditions. 
A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. All right. Here we are. David Mangum. Hello. Man. It's good to have you on. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to. So you just got back from a different kind of trip, right? I did. Yeah. You know, we'd planned on maybe doing a little fishing, but mostly surfing. Yeah. Nicaragua. Yeah. Do you know anything about Nicaragua before you went there? I didn't really know anything. You know, about a week out, I started looking online, making sure there are no travel advisories, which then I also got some shots, really short notice, just... uh <laughs> figured it was probably smart, but I didn't really know anything going in. Yeah. Yeah. How did you find out where the surfing was going to be? You know, some friends of mine just said, hey, you want to go to Nicaragua? And, you know, I've done a lot of photo shooting lately, and I thought it was a good opportunity to take some pictures, and which it turned out it was, and uh, get some surf in. I've always surfed for, for a long time. Of course, I was pretty out of shape for it. Biggest day of waves were the first day, and then it tapered off as I <laughs> got my fitness back into <laughs> surf shape. So, yeah. of course, it's always how it works. So, do you surf um, in Florida a lot whenever it's good? Yeah, you know, if there's hurricane swell or the just the right conditions happen, I do. You know? Yeah. I'm, I was, I was going to ask you about the hurricane, too, because oh, you must have had a, a really great year of surfing, which doesn't always equate to a really great year of Everything living. else, yes. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the, uh, God, what was it? Michael, I guess, was the, I always get the names yeah. all jumbled up. But Michael really did a uh, did a number on the, you know, if we had been just a little bit to the east, probably about 30 miles, we would have got hammered at uh, Panama City and Mexico Beach. God, just, I've never seen anything like it living yeah. in my, living in Florida all my whole life. It's, it's, um, that is so damaging to people's lives. I mean, in the Keys, we've, we've lived through a number of them, yeah. some of varying intensity. And um, Wilma was the one that, that got me personally. Right. Um, but man, it's just, it's just such a, it's, it's hard to even describe to someone that hasn't been there. And I'm sure that someone in California who's going through the fires and everything, is just complete devastation and they they could understand completely changes their life yeah yeah and so that mexico beach area is that an area that you would fish out of and around all all the time i mean you were very familiar with that very familiar you know i fish all around that area uh, a lot in the summer tarpon fishing and uh you know a side story was i went to you know the, the hurricane was on a wednesday and on a friday me and another fellow took a boat to mexico beach and it was an experience that I've, unlike anything I've ever had before, you know, we pulled into, we, we got over where there was some real shallow sand and there was, there's a canal that leads into Mexico beach. And, uh, you know, it was pretty silent. The wind had died down and all you hear was thousands of fire alarms still beeping. Wow. They're just attached to wood and pieces of houses. There's water bubbling up out of concrete slabs where the plumbing was just, you know, torn off. It, it was, it was spooky you know i expected to see dead bodies luckily we didn't we just didn't see them they were there apparently um but my friend that i went over there with had recently built a house recently finished it and uh luckily for him he had made it pretty bomb proof he's really? uh he's that kind of guy and now was that the only house left wasn't the only but it was one of the one only? of the, one of the only yeah i mean he had you know, everything was upstairs. The downstairs, you know, water had come up. I think it was 18 feet above 
the canal level, mm. but uh, it was a surreal experience. I saw I saw a picture shortly after, and there was there was like one single house and surrounding it looked like it uh-huh. had been cleared off with a bulldozer yep. and of course there were you know pieces of roof and stuff around but this one house yep. had been there i don't know if it's the same house as we were talking about but he had built it over over code yep. and all of that and that's the thing when we when like after the latest storm in the keys we went back down to duck key and and you could just see just one roof gone another roof gone here's new construction it was pretty good, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, they would do fine. Though certainly, the roof was there with the new construction and and bringing it up to code. And I think like Hurricane Andrew really, really changed that because yeah. that changed the, the the building code in in Florida substantially. But but that Mexico Beach area that was just I mean that just looked like a giant bomb went off. Yep. I mean that's the the term you hear everybody say that drives through there. Yeah. The bomb went off. And what what is what do you think that community's like now? It will take time before that place ever gets anywhere close to, I mean, what it was. And Mm -hmm. is it going to be ready for people? You know, a lot of the economy right there in that tiny little strip depended on people coming and staying in those beach homes and going to those businesses. And only time will tell if that's uh, going to come back. They'll they'll bring it back. I I mean, it will definitely come back. I've never seen anything like a hurricane to bring a community together and to bring neighbors together. Yeah, there was... uh, a lot of that that was going on uh, all through the area that got hit by the hurricane. So of is it like so often in the Keys, like maybe Key West will get really hit really hard or Marathon will get really hit hard. And then maybe even just 20, 30, 40 miles away, it's, nothing. you know, it obviously a hurricane went through, yeah. but it's nothing like nothing. this epicenter. Is that kind of that like, was, like looking around your neighborhood right here, you wouldn't be able to tell at this point that anything had happened. Yeah, we had a couple trees down and there's, of course, a mess with, you know, debris and whatnot. But, I mean, there was, specifically with this storm, it was like a 30-mile-wide tornado. I mean, there was a defined line that would take you, like, when you hit that line with your vehicle, if you were driving just the speed limit, you'd go from just starting to notice to all the trees down and, like, three miles it was super defined line like you talked about so it's uh extraordinary well they will rebound it will you know i I always think about you know people always oh you live in florida hurricanes it feels like just about anywhere in the world there's a give and take to where you live and how great the places you live there's always something there that it's going to balance that great place out whether it's california earthquake fires florida hurricanes whatever it is everybody's got something so yeah usually the floods I don't know. People, people sometimes get frustrated with people that live in the flood zones or near the flood zones. It's kind of like you never anticipate a hurricane like like that right. one that hit Mexico Beach. But anyway, well, I'm glad that that has come and gone, and Florida is on to on to better times. I was here right before with my kids. We came down to 30A, and we're just staying just a week or two before, and there were it was significant red tide. Like yep. And I hadn't experienced that as as much as some other people that I was with. But you would walk outside, and within just a couple of minutes, you know, you'd have this kind coffin. of coffee and mm-hmm. itchy throat. What did the what did that hurricane do to clear that up or clean it? You know, it moved it around. Yeah, and pretty much the the red tide needs fresh water and heat to proliferate, mm-hmm. and because it's a you know it's a little microorganism, mm-hmm. and as it blooms or becomes, you know, it, it kind of grows, it pulls oxygen out of 
both the water and the air. But, you know, when along the beach, the way why you cough is it kind of as those waves hit the shoreline, it kind of aerates the mm-hmm. that stuff and you kind of cough because you're actually being depleted oxygen. It's pretty interesting. But it you would have thought that and we had hoped that, oh, at least that red tide is going to be gone. But now it was still around. Huh. And it's weird. It, it seems like it'd be like a toilet flushing. You would like, hope so, yeah. yeah. The thing that we get that gets that red tide going is it cools down and kills it, or we have a lot of north wind, mm-hmm. blows it out offshore, disperses yeah. it enough. So, But it was yeah. still around. Well, I'm very optimistic about the water situation in Florida. Just lately, we've done a couple of other podcasts with Captains for Clean Water, and then we have the new governor and everything. What do you think of... Santos? Yeah. What do you think about I mean, his leadership? So far... I like it. Yeah. yeah he's kind of cleaning house, the water board down there in South Florida. And let's, you know, like a lot of things in this whole water war, if you will, over the years, looks good for a while and then things meander away. Yeah. So we'll that see if it really stays my, on track. That was really my question to Chris Whitman um, when we were when we were having this. And we had a, a Steve Davis from the Everglades Foundation and Benny Blanco was always uh, also on. And it's kind of like, do you guys think that you know, if there's something bad and super evident, there's fish kills and all this stuff, it's really easy to get people to give money. It's really easy to get them involved. And then as, as you know, that goes away, there's still a problem kind yeah. of simmering under the surface, but it's not as obvious. And I was kind of wondering if they thought the same as me, that the real challenge is coming up here to keep people engaged in mm-hmm. this in this fight, in this struggle, when the problem isn't just super obvious. And yeah. And, and and moving towards a situation to where you know the state of Florida, the fishing, the 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 bird watching, everything could be better than anyone's ever seen it in our lifetime if we just stay this course just a little bit longer, or or commit to this course and let the natural cycles take place. Yeah, right? if they if we can get there for sure, getting there is the uh, I think it's going to be the challenge. We'll, we'll see. I'm hopeful, but realistic. It should have seemed like we have good <laughs> or or better. Certainly, the best leadership moving in that direction that I mean we've had in a it long looks time. great. I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I follow your career over over time. You've done some really cool stuff. I just kind of wonder like uh, there there're few people that I've fished with that probably within the first 5 minutes I'm kind of like, wow, this guy's maybe even a little crazier than me as far as <laughs> <laughs> as get, all of these I get that one a lot. These yeah. things go, but um <laughs> So how did that happen? How did you, I mean, like you're, you're a, you're a mad scientist fisherman. Yeah. You know, that's funny that I, I get the scientist thing a lot because I, I guess I'm pretty analytical because you know what I mean by mm. that? Uh, when I'm, when I'm fishing or guiding, I'm yeah, yeah. looking at all the little bits and pieces and trying to put together a puzzle, but I don't know. Uh, I mean, that's how it ends up, but how does that, what, what's, what in your background gets you to that point? Like. Did you did you always fish? Yep, always fished. You know, yeah. from a little kid, fished since I could hold a rod for sure. Yeah, my dad was always fishing. He was into it. Um, so I was always going with him. Mm-hmm. He started planting that seed for sure. And then at what point did you think that maybe you might do this for a living? You know, I honestly kind of knew. Uh, I went to college for a while, went to school in Austin for a while. I was going to pursue an art career. And I just had that feeling like, I don't want to stay in school and kind of, I felt like everything was moving super slow, slow-mo. And I want to get out and do something and live my life right now. So 
moved to Alaska. That was um, early 90s, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Did you know anybody in Alaska? I didn't. I actually, uh, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you do, in the back of the uh, fly fishing mags, there were all those little squares that were advertised. <laughs> I just started calling them, started calling all of the numbers, and I got lucky and hit one that uh, the head guy that was running this place was from Florida. He was a Keys guide during part of his year, and he goes up there. And we kind of connected on that Florida part, and he said, all right, kid, come on up and uh, just make sure you have enough money for your return ticket case this doesn't work out you know i'll give you a shot I said all right cool so arrived so let me, there let me and, let me guess this is this is uh on the connect talk river no this was no? near knack this was uh so king who, salmon who, alaska who was the who was the florida guide his name was jess motter okay i was thinking maybe bus bergman no um but okay i know who that is though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so he had his little operation on the on the connect talk gotcha. and i ended up going to the connect talk and seeing them there okay i, I couldn't get into that I couldn't fish with them. So, but I had kind of already planned that we were going to Alaska. And so, and, and then I'd had several customers tell me how great this river was. So now gotcha. I didn't really know a lot about Alaska. So I'm like, well, we're going there. So I ended up going with another outfit. I should have gone with those guys. But anyway, so I, I didn't mean to interrupt no. you. So you get up there yeah. and Alaska is new. <laughs> and I didn't have a uh, captain's license. So this was uh, like, you're going to be like bottom of the barrel guy. Uh-huh. So, you know, here's your pack. We're going to put a tent in it and you put your people's lunch in it. And here's a gun. And we're going to get on that plane in the morning. We're going to, the guy's going to fly you out. You do a pass over the creek that you're going to fish to see how many bears are on it. And then they're going to land on the lake and you fish with your people. And Okay. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Just go for it and figure it out. That's yeah. all I did. Yeah. And so you knew something about trout fishing? Something about I salmon did. fishing? Had you ever no. been to, never been to Alaska? Nothing. So this pretty much just. I read and did, did my research. Actually, uh, like would go to the library and look for a few books that had like some flies and a lot of no things internet. changed like that. Like I, I talked to my son about that. Like he, he just became an elk guide last year. Cool. And like, just like you, he just wanted to do this. It's in college. He wants to do this. And I've talked about it a couple of times on this podcast, but he asked me what my, advice would be i said write a letter a day so cool. you know, seven letters a day just like what you did you just started calling those people yep. call seven call someone every day write yep. a letter every day whatever make this happen because it's not going to happen for you got to focus on your goal and just do whatever it takes to get there right so <laughs> i'm sure that you learned a lot that first season oh yeah <laughs> trial by fire uh, to the extreme so i i did that up there it was a great experience. I mean, what I took away was the fishing was, you lived it. It was amazing. There were fish everywhere. The fishing part was very easy, but the place was what I took away. You know, you get on that float plane and you fly out and you just, there's nothing under you for so far. And, you know, no, you look down, nobody's ever put their foot there probably. And that was so cool. And you get back to the lodge and you look at this giant, you know, that giant uh, map on the wall of Alaska, and you maybe went a quarter of an inch, you know <laughs> yes, what I mean? And yes, you're like, yes. oh, my God. <laughs> it's completely different than the lower 48, just a different feeling and a different way of kind of understanding the world you live in, I think. So. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like the more, you know, you just learned a little bit, just enough to realize that you know nothing. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I explored this much, That's right. and there is a map that is literally 20 feet wide, and I I did a quarter inch. So where did that take you from there? Did you go back to college or? I didn't. I never did. I uh, Let's see. I moved from there 
Colorado, back to Florida, went back to Alaska, different place, King, King out of, uh, not King Salmon, but uh, Prince of Wales Island. I guided there with a buddy and then went back to Colorado, back to Florida, Puerto Rico, and here and there and all over the place. And I want to say oh, 18 years ago, moved back here to Florida. The whole time I was wandering around, I knew I was coming back here, mm-hmm. you know, and was going to get a skiff. I, I, I still have some of those first ads of Hell's Bays. And when I first started looking at skiffs, they didn't even have Hell's Bay. There was a Silver King was mm-hmm. like the one, yeah. you know, and I spent some time scheming and saving up money and how I was going to get a boat. But the Hell's Bay was was up then. My first Hell's Bay was like $18,000. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went, I, I went, I went uh, trout fishing um, not too long ago with yeah. someone that has a, there's a boat that we used to fish out of out west that was called a coffler. And it basically looked like, it basically looked like a dog, dog wash, you know, one of those the aluminum things right. that you wash a dog in <laughs> right. with oars on it. I mean, it was kind of low sided and, and then it was a wonderful boat and you sat two both people sat in it. Right. The per, the guide sat in the middle. And the Koffler also made, you know, regular drift boats, but they made this low-sided thing. People liked that enough, turned it into the South Fork Skiff, turned it into these low-drifting boats, which now, like Adipose, has one. And it's much nicer inside, much, much nicer inside. They've evolved. Yeah, and I'm looking at this boat, I'm like, this is... Very similar to the old coffler right. we used to fish in, <laughs> except we didn't have all this nice rod storage and all this. I'm like, what does this boat cost? And right. I'm thinking he's going to say like $6,000, $5,000. No, it was more than my first skiff that right. I bought with an out, with a 90 horsepower motor. Absolutely. Like, oh my God. Yeah. They've, uh, they've gone up a little, yeah. a lot maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the first skiff, you get your first skiff and do you, how, how did you find out where in Florida you were going to return to? Well, I just came home, you know, this Destin area is where I grew up, and I just started trying to figure out from, I mean, literally, it's like, let's look at the map, and I mean, before I even had a skiff, I was on my John boat, you know, and just go over there in the John boat, and look around, see what's going on, is there any fishing, you know, and that was it. There was no one to follow or, you know, follow in their footsteps or, you know, none of that, but, you know. And when I first moved back, a buddy of mine did have a skiff, and he he and I fished a lot together. He owned a restaurant here along 30A in Seaside called Bud and Alley's, mm-hmm. same as Scott Wachowski. And we spent, God, up and down the coast all over the place. We just explored, went fishing all the time. I was bartending for work, and, you know, I'd bartend till late at night, and as young men do, drink a little, have fun, mm-hmm. and get up in two hours and go fishing. And we just did it over and over for years, so... And then you develop into like, okay, I guess I can take somebody for money at some Definitely. point. Or, mm-hmm. but that had to, you had to decide that. Like, I'm going to get a captain's license and I'll turn this into a business. What yep. does that look like? Well, that looked like for me, I actually, my dad helped me sign back then for a loan because I had no credit, you know, just wandering mm-hmm. around and signed on, got a loan and I got that first Hell's Bay. Uh, I was a waterman, waterman 18. I linked up with somebody here that had started something in front of me, but he and I worked together, worked with him for a few years and just, you know, just like Alaska, you just grab your belt buckle and tighten it and go, all right. And you drive to the place you meet your people and you, you just go, you Mm -hmm. know? And what about this developing tarpon fishery? Because, you know, back in these days when, when you're talking about that many years ago, 
this wasn't considered a certainly not considered the destination that it is today. It was definitely you know, not tarpon definitely swam up here, but most people are stopping their tarpon fishing like around Homosassa. Yeah. And that was kind of back in the day when Homosassa was still really very really doing yeah. doing great. And that's where most people are going for the records. Yeah. So you're seeing some tarpon and I am deciding, in, yeah. hmm, maybe I mean, when well, did the wheels start turning? I mean, the wheels like, started turning well before, like, as far as me guiding here, before I really knew too much about those tarpon. I was something I was going to come do here, and it was those kind of exploratory, moving around the coast with my friend and found a place where I was seeing these tarpon in the summer. And <laughs> that was kind of like that electric moment for me where, okay, this is this is it right here. And my first tarpon I caught was on an eight weight. I didn't even have a 12 weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, just some big fly like I'd seen in a book or magazine. Lead eyes, actually, which don't really do anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but just trial and error. And it was, uh, I, I look back at that time and just go, oh, my God, I wish I could be back there knowing what I know now. Yeah. yeah. But don't you think that, I don't know, I hear this all the time of people that, you know, have, have, made whatever life they've made and they look back at the times when they were making it and god man i remember those times of living like 10 people in a house and (laughs) you're just like you know having fun at night and then you're fishing all day and then you're just trying to figure out what in the world you're going to do and so many times it seems like there's no hope you this is not going to work out and then you look back at these days and you're like god that was the best Oh, that was yeah. the best time of my whole life. I wish, that's what I wish. I wish that I could have known, like, I don't need to know, like, the learning part was was so fun. The best what I part. wish I could know back then was, these are the, these yeah. could be the soak best days in. of your life. Like, soak it in. Yeah. Like, it's, just, it's, the it's fact not, that you're eating ramen noodles and yeah. you don't have any money might be the greatest blessing. Absolutely. Don't, you know, soak it in be in that live it right now because it's you're not like everybody says i'm working to towards the future so that i can get more what relax stuff money whatnot i mean those moments are the ones where you look back and you're like oh my god i wish i hadn't been worried about all that other peripheral stuff you know yeah there's i mean i think how old are you I am 46. 46. So I just turned 50 this year. So we're mm. we're close. And then you've been married for you've been married for a long time? Gosh, 15 years. 15? Yeah. yeah. I'm 23. More. So I've been married for 23 years. I have three kids and you I just met your daughter just a few yeah. minutes ago. So in like all these things that we're talking about, I find it interesting that as your life kind of moves on, you move into these different seasons of your life or these different stages to where yes, what we were talking about, like you're you're developing this for yourself, you're learning. All of this is super fun. But of course, all the family is super fun too and super rewarding in a totally different way. And then, yep. then, there's, then there's like looking back and being like, wow, I can't even believe that all of this is, has happened. Yeah. Now you're in another season of your life. One of the questions that that somebody sent me the other day was, I'm thinking about being a guide. And I'm also getting ready to get married. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. So he's, he's getting ready to get married and he's going to be a guy. And he was asking me what my, if I had any advice for him. And so. Are you first, wealthy? Yeah. It's a good way to make a small fortune. <laughs> Start with a large fortune. <laughs> um, I, I was kind of like, okay, 
well, I don't even really know if I'm qualified to, I mean, yes, I've been married for 23 years, yeah. but there's, there's like, how do you answer that in a way that you could pass that kind of knowledge over there? Because like, what's interesting about that question, and I want your take on it, yeah, is that in order to do what you've done or what I did in the Florida Keys of developing something for yourself, going to a place that you know nothing really and learning all of this stuff enough to be someone that people want to pay money to go fishing with. Right. There has to be a period of time of, of complete obsession, yes, I think. I agree. And I don't, I, and I'm not sure that the part-time I don't think bartender, obsession covers it really, actually. I, don't, I think you, I think it has to be even more than that, just obsession. But it has to be obsession for a long period of time. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. I, no, I, I do know what yeah. you mean. And it's, but, it, but when I'm trying to, to formulate a response to someone that really wants some advice, and he's obviously thinking the right way, like, I want to be a guy, but I also want to be married. How do those two fit together? It's a very, very difficult thing because there has to be this, this long period of time, like you say, that it's beyond obsession to where that's all you think about. And I know that, I, you know, I know plenty of guides, you know plenty of guides, that the marriage didn't survive that. Yes. I also know other people that the fishing didn't survive that, yeah. that they decided, you know what, if, I, if we keep going like this, we're not going to no. be married much longer. And that's more important to me. So I'm packing everything up and I'm leaving. I yeah. saw that happen lots of times. I have seen it happen in my guide service. Yes. Mm-hmm. And kudos to them. They figured out Absolutely. what was the most important to them and they did it. How did... How do you see that you <laughs> that you create that balance or you maintain that balance or for I mean, that's what I was saying for a long time. Like if I hold my hands out like this and I'm like, this is this is a scale. Right. It looked like this for a long, long time of just fishing is holding everything down and everything else is up here and there might be time to make a phone call or pay the bills or whatever. Yeah. But fishing was everything. And then at some point, you know, you start to figure out how you can spend a little more time. But this is a fine balance. I mean, it, what, do, what do you think about that? It's a seesaw that teeters back and forth constantly, I think. You know, it, it, it doesn't just, it never maintains that straight line, you know, that you're talking about. It, or like you said, it's either way this way, that way. And, oh, it starts tipping that way. Then you got you to put some weight back on the other side. And you hope to make it through that... Uh, violent seesawing <laughs> for many years it, you know and i think the most key ingredient there is like as far as marriage goes you have to have somebody that you're completely in love with or they love you like that love is the only thing that's going to really you know glue all that together i think if that obsession you know that obsession takes over which has to be there i think got to have somebody that's really great yeah so, and i did well i did too i married way out of my league and and Same she here. was you know it's funny because I don't know that if I was in her shoes, I'm not sure that I would have been as understanding that you just can't stop thinking about anything else. Oh, yeah. Like, what about me? Like, I, oh, yeah. I don't know that I could have been as patient and as understanding as she was. And it hasn't always been super easy. I mean. Oh, yeah. We had some real <laughs> rough times. And then and then you throw kids into the mix, too. Yeah. See, and it's that, like, oof. That's a whole new. You went before me, I think, on the kids. I we waited, and if if we hadn't, I think, yeah, I'm not sure where 
where everything would be. Luckily, we, we waited till things got a little more even on the seesaw, and uh, it's been great. I mean, you know, the kid, you know, I used to think fishing was the, the greatest part of my life, but it's my child now. Yeah. Anybody that has kids knows that one. Yeah, yeah for sure. The but then there's, then, there's the, the, then there's the balance. So once you make this your career, okay, well, now you have to have time for both. Yeah, it's, that's very difficult. I'm I'm not here a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. It is very difficult. So I didn't know how to answer that. Like in an email, I was like, hmm, "Boy, I don't know." I, I've had so many of those emails too, and you know, I I just cut right to it. You know, so do you like to fish? Oh, you do. Oh, well, don't become a guide because you're not. Well, you are fishing, but you're. You know, if you actually like the act of fishing, that's not really for you. You know, I stopped fishing, you know, with a rod myself, you know, years ago. But I think, you know, a lot of the emails are people ask about, oh, I want to, I love to fish and I want to be a guide. Well, those are completely separate things. You know, I, I think that you have to live a life of fishing and get to a place where it's not that important to me anymore to hold a rod in my hand and actually get to catch a fish. You evolve past that. So what's the next step? The next step is somebody coming on the front of your boat and, you know, they are your rod and your, your words to them and your guidance to them. That's what you're using to fish now. I don't know. That's kind of how I explain it a lot of times. Yeah. Well, I think that that's where you see the difference between good and great is that some people look at guiding as an art form that does not include fishing. And I learned that kind of right away in the outfit that I worked for out West and, and this old cowboy, Vern Bressler, and I've told this story before too, but he, he just said, you know what? You don't fish. You never fish. And I was like, dang, man, I'm like 20 years old. That's the only reason I was wanting to be right. there. <laughs> like, so I never fish. He goes, you, you fish on the days that you're not, that you don't have clients. Right. But the worst thing you could ever do is go out there and, and somebody, you bring your clients back to the shop and we say, did you have a good day? And they say, I don't know. God caught a huge one. Right. And Kiss he's like, he was just telling me that's, <laughs> That's it. You'll be gone. You'll, yep. you, we will, you will be fired immediately if that happens. So I kind of realized, okay, I'm doing something different. Like nobody cares if you can catch that fish. Nope. They only care if you can help them to catch that fish. Yeah, that's guiding. Yeah. And I don't know. That's the art form. The craft. It's yeah. craft. Yeah. I agree. It's, you know, it, it's kind of sounds corny to say that. Like you don't want to put this guiding thing on a big pedestal but i truly is if you if you dig deep enough into anything you can do in life it becomes an art form i think if you dig down into the into the bones of it yeah well you're right about anything i mean that could be you know any sort of business any sort of anything i think what's interesting about fishing and why a lot of people are interested in guides is because it it is a microcosm of the world and things happen very, very quickly. And the same, the same thing that's true for, for a lot of, like you, you mentioned just, um, we were talking about David Goggins' book. Yeah. And the same thing is true about the SEAL books is that a lot of the things that they're doing are very similar to other things in the world, like running a business or being a parent or whatever. But the, the repercussions of making a mistake are you know, life and death and, and right. everyone's life and death. And, and it, it's, it's way more important and way more immediate. And, and if you make a mistake, you're going to know about it instantly, yeah. or maybe you won't, you won't even know you're just, you're just dead. And so to hear from those people that have, have survived that 
and taken you know that type of leadership to to an art form or to you know like we say to made that their craft it's kind of similar with the with the fishing guys because there's so much communication that goes into into talking with your client and talking them through what they're about to do and and that yeah i don't know it's just same thing like you said it's leadership it's communication and thinking of 14 20 30 50 things at once right <laughs> you got to think of yeah. a million things at one time so yeah and what about um like when we were first just talking you were talking about your um your photography yeah how is that how has that become more and more of a part of what you're doing you know when i first started guiding and doing these different things, Alaska or wherever I was, you know, you're looking around and, uh, you know, it's hard to explain, you know, why you want to like, you want to document it and share it with other people somehow, you know, and whether that's a client or somebody else through an image, you just have that feeling of like, I want to show this to to other people, you know, and that, that's kind of where it started for me, um, whether it was photography or video or whatnot. And then I, figured out that, wow, you know, people really like this this photo and they're really fired up about it and they want to experience what they see in this photo or video or whatnot. And mm-hmm. it became a way that, you know, you can, it certainly became a marketing thing down the road as I tried to get clients to, to want to come fish with me. You know, here's what, here's what this looks like. Here's what mm-hmm. it is. Come and check you, out. you seem to have kind of toyed back and forth between the photography and the video like in the in the different things that you've done and you've you've come up with some really cool stuff. I mean that Yeti film that you did was was awesome and yeah. what was what did that look like? Like did you have a vision of what that was going to be or did you partner up with some people or is that you know, all the, your your deal or you know mostly that was uh, a couple other guys deal the the black and white Yeti film that we shot. You know I I had a little bit of input but uh that one was that one was Ben and Travis from uh, Felt Soul Media. Mm. Some of the other stuff that I've done as far as shooting video, I mean, it's just it's just another challenge, you know, uh, something else to to learn. And I, sometimes my wife thinks I have way too many <laughs> things I'm working on to try to learn and to master. But, uh, you know, I, I guess I'd just tell you that kind of have a, that obsession thing kind of goes with anything I'm, whatever's in front of me at the moment. You know what I mean? You, you may have the same deal, you know, whatever you really get into or, or, uh, trying to do you just like this is it for this moment you know yeah so you, you, that that smile tells me that you understand well I, I know and and i had a discussion with this other guy he's an mma fighter he calls himself the best fisherman in mma and uh he loves to fish his name's gregor gillespie and even when he wins a fight in the ufc he's like i'm the best fisherman in mma <laughs> so i was like is that real and so i checked out a few more of his fights and i had him on the show yeah. and he has a tattoo that i ask about and it says one to one or 100 right here on his neck. And I was like, one or 100? I wonder what that means. So I asked him. And his response was exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. I'm either all in yeah. or I'm all out. And I find that to be a common thread between a lot of the fishing guides that I know that it's either all or nothing. And yeah. if those guys get into hunting, oh, oh boy, boy yeah. watch out. And if they get into, you know, archery or whatever i mean they'll they'll be shooting you know 200 arrows a day or there'll be you know if it's video like yourself then it's just you know okay what's next learn learn what's the best camera what how do i learn how to do this i think that what you what you seem to have done is to figure out these these things that you're interested in which are 
are complementary yeah. to your business, which kind of is like sense, more right? working. Yeah. You kind of <laughs> you kind of just put it all in a big ball and kind of squish it all together and it seems to have worked out so far. So <laughs> where's the relaxation come from? Ah, uh, I don't I don't do it. <laughs> I mean, you just went surfing, is that your is Yeah, that your you know, um which, you know, my wife was like, "How was it?" Well, you know, Four in the morning when I walked out of here, I just, you know, I just relaxed when I got back. When I went to bed, I mean, it was go, go, go every single second when we were there. But, I mean, I'm relaxed if I'm not relaxed, I guess. I don't know. I don't I don't really ever have any. If I'm sitting still, I'm thinking about what I need to go do or what I want to do, you know. When I was young, and I've always, I have uh, Tourette's. So, when I was young, it was pretty bad. And part of that kind of a sidecar with that whole Tourette's thing is kind of some OCD stuff. So I think that that is uh, part of the alchemy of that. So you really have Tourette's? I like, sure do. And yeah. so how has that affected you in your life? You seem to be I think to, it helps me, uh, you know, the OCD part of it at least is definitely. So does Tourette's manifest in different ways other than like, you know, obviously there's been some athletes and stuff like that that have Tourette's and you, they shout things or yeah or yeah there's definitely different manifestations a lot of the ways with me as a you know when i was a kid it was pretty bad but as i grew up it it eased and i learned how to kind of have it manifest in pl- ways that most people wouldn't recognize you know like huh. i'm clicking my teeth all the time like every time i go down the road every mile marker or something weird things but very rarely a lot of my friends see it because you know they know about it but it manifests in ways that it still has to happen because it's it's one of those things that you have to do it. It's like an itch that has to be scratched. But uh, but the the reason I mention it, I think, is because a lot of times the OCD thing comes along with that uh, Tourette's game, and that's certainly been a pretty sure that's had a hand in. Uh, <laughs> so do you think that do you think that that has contributed to any success that you have experienced, the or OCD has thing? been has been a negative? Absolutely. As a help for sure yeah was it a help all the way through your life like was there other times before you were fishing and before you know you 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 make your life like this that it was not yeah i guess when i was a kid you know uh certainly if you're young and you have something like that going on you know the other kids aren't really uh great about it but uh but i think you know when i was young i did a lot of art i drew and painted and did a lot of stuff and i, I think it certainly helped with that and that's where you know as i moved on to school where I was going to pursue an art career. So, yeah. Did you have a um, a certain medium that you were really interested in when you went to school? No. Uh, no, I didn't. I just, uh, it was kind of the art was the all focus, you know, it was, whether it's painting, sketching, charcoal. I loved art history, everything about it. I was just like, going to learn everything about this. And, and I still paint, so. Were you able to, to um, have an outlet for that in high school? No, not not past just your regular, you know, art classes, but fishing, that was my, my thing. So Yeah, but then uh, I'm just interested in like, because my son goes to Belmont and he's interested in art and he had just enough art in high school to be like, oh, well, I'm, yeah, I'm that good was at this and I kind of like it and now I'm going to go to school to do it. But he didn't really... It was it was kind of even hard for him to kind of be like, well, what kind of art? And like, does mm. art mean photography? Does art mean video? Right. Does art mean painting? Does it mean charcoal? Like you're like you're saying. And I'm just so 
your your original intent was just to kind of have a general art. I didn't know. Yeah, I had no idea. So just like your son, I don't. What is it? What kind of art? You know, I just know. All right, start moving in this direction. Let's get the momentum moving in this direction, and I'll figure out the path. Just like a lot of people in college, you know. And I, you know, I still have it. It's one of those itches you have to scratch. I think art. You know, you 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 feel like you have to be creative and create something. You know, and I I really truly believe a lot of my guiding and fishing. I'm doing the same thing, mm-hmm. creating a situation for the person that helps them catch a fish, or I'm. I'm thinking about all the little variables and figuring out how to create a, a another situation, you know. And right. um, I don't know. I think that that itch of that obsession, if you have to refine it down, it is somewhat all everything kind of comes down the funnel to creating something. So, and as a guide, do you you feel like you're creating daily? Yes. Well, as guiding, yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you're not, you I get real bored. Yeah. Yeah. You know, definitely some days. Hey, I've, I'm, I, need, I know I'm going to go to this spot over here. You know, that's that's my 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 spot. I'm going to go to this place, and I'm going to get my day done because it's blowing or it's cloudy or it's tough. Or even if it's a nice day, I'm going to start over here. But then we're going to go do I don't know what. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's my that's the most fun as a guide that I can have going and doing something, pointing the boat in a direction that I don't know what's going on over here. Let's go look. You know, yeah. And that those days that you find something new, I mean. I can, I got a bunch of those in my head. I can tell you all those days. Yeah. yeah. There's lots but of days I don't remember. It, it's funny how, in my experience, oftentimes when you happen upon something, the first time that you find it is the best that you ever see. I, I agree with that. And I don't know why that is because you can go back and you're like, okay, this is what the tide was doing. This is what the wind was doing. This, I don't even know why these fish were here. And then you look at the map and you go, oh, okay. Now I'm starting to put it together. And if they're here, they should be over here. And and, and, and if, when they leave here, when the tide drops out, they should go over here. And you mm-hmm. start to put all these things together. And so when you start to put them all together, you should be thinking, okay, I'm going to go replicate this even on better things. Because it was blowing 20 out of right. the north when I found that. So now... If we go and it's a nice day, imagine how great it's going to be. Water's moving better. Yeah. Water temp is spiking. And then you go there yeah. and it's only marginally as good as the first <laughs> time you found it. <laughs> or maybe that's why you found it because it was so good that day. I know, yeah. but, but I just I just wait for an answer on that. Like, why why did I happen upon it? Sometimes it's great that don't get the answer though, right? Yeah. Then you're just looking to for another answer somewhere else. I don't know. That's what's awesome. I love that. Part. You know, as as things happen, I, I came across one of your your videos the other day on Instagram and it was it was somebody on the bow of your boat casting fly rod and two tarpon are coming and then they they eat kind of it's a little muddy water and you see the fish turn and then it takes off and it's from a drone directly overhead. Right. Oh no, that was that was somebody else's, but yes. I oh. know the, I know the shot you're talking okay. about. Okay. Um I thought it was yours, I'm sorry. But anyway, that shot any shot like that. Yeah. Today, we have this drone technology that you can see that. Or, like recently, we were filming a, a sailfish show where we were trying to catch sailfish as they are spraying ballyhoo. Cool. And there's a, yeah, there's a, a, a cool thing that happens when the ballyhoo, um, they migrate in and they're, they're everywhere. And a sailfish comes under that and they shower, oh. they spray, and they do it in a certain way that when a jack comes and gets them, they like spray and they all go in different directions. When a sailfish comes, they all go in the same direction. Got and it. you can see it from a long way away. Right. Uh, that's what we're looking for. Right. And so we have the drone up on this one and we go there and 
stand up on the bound, look and look and look. And it showered, but we don't see anything because we're standing at water level. The drone's up, but we never saw the sail. I went down. No. Nope. But he didn't go down because we go back and we look at the stuff later. Yeah. And there were two sailfish right there that we just couldn't, couldn't see. see. They're three yeah. or four feet under the surface. If they were one foot under the surface, maybe we would have seen them. And I can remember so many days where... I'm thinking, I'm just so obsessed with what these fish are doing and where they're going and why they were just rolling right here and now they're gone and where would they possibly have gone? And I was like, man, when I die, these are going to be the first questions I ask. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Like, I'm going to know where those fish went. Like, I've got so many of those questions. And now, they show up right here. (laughs) <laughs> okay, where were they before they were all right here? Like, okay, that, I just need to know that. Yeah. Right. And now with the drone, some of those things are, you're actually getting those answers. A like, little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly there's some things that, like, I love to fly the drone and look and take, you know, find a school of fish and then you put it up and you see, see them from a different angle. Hmm. I wouldn't say there's, I don't, I, I can't, I don't have any big discoveries that I've seen on that drone. I'll tell you that. But I love, that different perspective from the drone. And uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly fascinating. The discoveries that I've made on the drone is that it's simpler than you thought it was. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, four tarpon rolled over there. We've cast all in here. There's a cloud overhead now. We can't see. So they're gone. And if there was a drone up there, you would see that they're not gone. They're just sitting, just sitting exactly Right. where they were and they just don't, don't want to eat it bite yeah. i mean there's plenty of times when you can see them and throw at them and they don't bite it yeah. like that most of the time right you know <laughs> yeah the biggest takeaway so far with the amount of like you know some of the drone flying around stuff that i've done is the fish are more aware of you than you know that is is something that i've noticed you know you since you can watch them further away, something that you wouldn't notice from standing on the boat or the platform on the back or the front, you know, you, you squeak or do one little thing or even move your weight around in the boat. You can watch those fish react to that, something you didn't think. And, and that's, I think, the, the neat thing that I've seen with that drone is, huh, they, they, I, didn't, I wouldn't have thought that that school of redfish, you know, 250 feet over there is aware of us. But yeah, they all just flinched when this happened or yeah, whatnot. They knew. Yeah. And that's why when they get up to you, they're already on the edge. Yeah. You're thinking, something's wrong here. Yeah. Like, But yeah, something's wrong. And you caused it yeah. unknowingly before you even knew those fish were there. I think that's I think that's pretty interesting. I don't know. I haven't gotten to where, you know, we, we fish with the drone. Like, we just use it for filming. And yeah. then it's going back, you know, and looking at the end of the day. And you're like, wow. Huh. That's they were there the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting the direction that, you know, technology, the fish don't stand much of a chance anymore, huh? GPS. I, do you think? Everything. I mean, like, where do you see that going? Is it, does that make fishing easier or does it make it fishing harder? Both. Just changes it. It's, it's always changing though, right? I mean, ever evolving. Is it good? Is it bad? I mean, I don't know. Those are, those are the questions, I guess, aren't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, with the technology, like on the one hand, it makes some things easier and it certainly can make some things more difficult because like as your sonar is, is popping, if all you got to do is go snorkeling under your boat right. one time and, and listen to that and it's popping and making like, a sound oh like my God. click, 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 click. 
So while that is making it easier, maybe it's also making it much more bad difficult. For the, yeah. So I think there's a lot of things like that in today's world that you know we're 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 not not doing it any favors, you know. So like what? Don't get me started. What comes to mind? Don't get me started on that rant. I I have a little rant that all everybody that knows me knows my little saying, and it involves some some curse words, but it comes. You know, basically, it's uh, every every problem like in our natural world. You know, comes down and it, and it all comes down to this this funnel of this big uh, graph to to a, a point, and the the point on the bottom, the thing or the thing covers everything, it's, and basically it's too many people. So there's a whole bunch of us, and there's a lot more than there used to be, and that's probably not good for a lot of things on this planet. So. And that's your that's what everybody knows about you is that, that yeah. you think there's Don't, too many people in the world. There's definitely too many people. Yeah. Do you think that you have a, a a misanthropic view of the world? Would you say that? If I knew what that meant, <laughs> I'll go ahead and. Make, that's my only. That. That's the only big word that I know. <laughs> if I, I'll be honest and tell you, I don't know the definition you know, of misanthropic. I've I'll heard tell you, the word. I'll tell you why I know. I'll tell you why I know that because I was once a, accused of being a misanthrope, and that is a hater of man. Okay, and I was like, "Misanthrope." What does I, that somebody, mean? Some might call me that. So I went home and I looked it up, and I was like, <laughs> "A hater of man." That, that guy thought I was a hater of man. <laughs> what am I doing? And basically, you know, it's like, oh, there's too much development. There's, you know, yeah. And and I kind of became more aware of it. Like, okay, maybe maybe I can feel that way, but does that? Does voicing that really do any good, especially around my clients or anyone yeah. anyone else? Does that does that really do me? Is that helping me or hurting me or whatever? And do I really hate man, or am I just making an observation that there's too many in certain places? Yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely make the observation, and I like having the discussion because I think the discussion warrants having it and saying, you know, let's look around and what you know. We should we should be paying a little more attention to what we're doing, right? Yeah, and that's that's my main point when I have that conversation. So, I mean, I think there's certainly signs that that we are. There are, yeah. I mean, there's there's signs that we we're, we're at least pondering the questions that that should be pondered, right? Yeah, and I think it's going to take a lot more time for us to to actuate those those things. Well, I think awareness. Awareness is the first step, and then yeah. education is the second step, right? Like, like with the water issues, like that. If it wasn't for Captains for Clean Water and other other organizations bringing awareness to this, and then doing a good job of like, here's all the resources you need to know. Like, educate yourself, mm-hmm. make your own decision. Like, not Absolutely. pushing you one way or another. Look, this is it's it. This is happening. It's in your backyard. Would you like to know more or right. not? Okay, if you don't, that's fine. Somebody sure. else wants to know more. And I think those are the things that I'm seeing now that are like a yeah, lot nobody, of things are Nobody likes that stuff shoved down their throat and say, you know, hey, you should think this way or that way. Yeah, and I'm certainly not doing that with my, my little saying, but <laughs> I just like having the conversation because I would like to bring everybody aware of that fact, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. You think there's too many people just in the... So not, 1920... Less than 100 years ago, there were 2 billion people on planet Earth. Today, 
there are 8 billion. It's a lot of, a lot more billions in a real short amount of time, less than a hundred years. And it, I think we can, you know, I notice on the boat, anytime somebody's talking about, oh, the fishing over there, or the fishing here, or, I used to go hunting here, or, do that, or this, you know, a lot of those stories that, that you hear or people talk about, it's, it was really good, but it's not as good now, or it's, there's not as many of these things over here, or this, there's more people there now. And, you know, I think we all see it. And I just hope we're all, we all need to be aware of it. That's mm-hmm. all. So, Yeah. Yeah. Well, at this point, what are you the most interested in as you move forward into 2019? You know, um, I've really been into photography lately and doing a lot more of that than I have in the past. Uh, and I is that mostly fishing photography or all types? A little bit, uh, a little bit all t- Yeah. So right now I am working on a, a coffee table book backed by Yeti. Uh, it'll be their first uh, Yeti Presents in print. It's going to be pretty cool. And it's on tarpon and the culture that surrounds the fish. So i um, been working hard on that. I got about, I want to say 25 different photographers uh, contributing. I'm just kind of the librarian of the project. I have a lot of my photos in there as well, but I'm kind of the guy that's gathering it all together. And is that about history too? History of the sport? Not so much history. Uh, I would say it's more, uh, the, most of the photography, some of it maybe you've seen uh, before, but most of it's, I'd say newer. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, a coffee table book, that can be a pretty big undertaking. Like, that's it is. hundreds of pages, <laughs> it is, right? It is. Yes, it is. Have you ever written a book before? No, and, and you know, we're, we're going to have a few writings, but it's not going to be much of that. It's mostly an art book uh, visual. So, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty cool. It's it's kind of a, you know, I was on the boat with uh, Roy Cedars, who you know, uh-huh. and, uh, you know, he just said, hey, you ever, you ever consider doing something like this? I said, oh, man. Yeah, that's like dream project. He's like, let's do it. Here we are. It's been a good relationship for you with Yeti, right? Absolutely. Wonderful company. And out of all the, the companies that I've worked with over the years, they, I, I mean, they walk the walk. They they do what they say. They do a lot of great conservation. And their stuff does what it, they say it does. They're, yeah. They're great. Yeah, yeah. but they go, they go like a, above and beyond with a, their people. a step yeah. further. And like wanting to be a part of of the culture mm-hmm. of where their products are being used. Like, That's I think it's, I think success. it's really interesting yeah. in, in like they're them wanting to, to back that book. Like they want to be a part of the this story. Yeah. Yes. That's it. That's where their success comes from. That That is the culture that, you know, they've created a brand within all these different small cultures of the outdoors. And I think that's, that, that's the root of their success. And so, does does this um does this photography like the 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 amount of time and effort that you're spending on their photography does that change anything else and do you do you just fit that in or does it does that come at the expense of something else that you were you know doing? Uh, some it comes at the expense of days in the water that not my tarpon fishing at all that that can't happen mm-hmm. uh, but other days of the year where maybe I'm just red fishing here around my home uh, just a a day charter. You know, I have 11 of the guys with my guide service. So those, those trips kind of go to those guys uh, if I'm off taking photos somewhere. So, yeah. And have you been moving around to all the different tarpon locations? You know, um, yeah, like I was in the Keys a couple weeks ago taking some photos. And uh, I'm going to probably be down there around April for maybe even two to three weeks. Doing a lot of portrait work with different folks in the culture. And uh, just a lot of me and a few other photographers are going to go down there and just kind of attack 
everything we see up and down the Florida coast. So that's cool. Yeah. And then when do you expect that that is going to come out? You know, um, I'm not sure if I can disclose that. I'm, I don't know what the rules are. Oh, well, yeah. But I mean, it'll this, be a little bit down like, the road. Years down the road? Not years, but uh, it'll be down the road. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. And then what about um, anything else that, uh, like your guide service, where do where people find you? Like if they want to find you or go fishing with any of your people? Yeah. You know, um, our guide service is based here on the panhandle of Florida, um, kind of the 30A or Destin, Santa Rosa Beach area, Panama City. Um, that's kind of the epicenter where most all of my guides live and fish. We also guide in Louisiana for a couple months of the year. I've been doing that for over 15 years now, I guess. So me and a few of the other guides go over there out of Venice, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. I saw you down there not too long ago. Awesome. Yeah, that's kind of all, that's what we do. So if you're coming to the Panhandle of Florida, pretty much all up and down this coast, uh, if you're looking for a guide, we can do it. And what, where's, what's your website? Uh, Mm Shallowwaterexpeditions.com. And they can find um, all of your, what about your art? You know, I don't have any of the art. I used to have it on our old website, but I, I took that off. People started buying too much of it. So it started to disappear. <laughs> so, if, if so, so what do you do with your art these days? Is it like a private kind of commission type deal? Yeah, or? I've done some commissions lately, which is pretty cool. Um, Dave Perkins, I did a commission for. Um, Tom Evans, who's mm-hmm. a kind of famous tarpon guy. did a Kind of a famous tarpon guy. Yeah, yeah. I did one for him uh, not too long ago. That's the last thing I worked on. But... Uh, I've worked on a little bit of painting this winter. It seems like winter time that used to be my summer time is getting busier. So not not as much time to work on painting. But well, you yeah. sure are cr- cramming a lot of stuff into the same amount of time. Like there's yes. only 365 days in the year, and unfortunately, yeah. and now as you you know do more painting, now you're now you're doing a coffee table book. You're yeah. guiding. You've got 11 guides. You're married. You have a child. You're yes. I mean. You keep piling podcasts, it in. Podcasts. Yeah. Like, Here's your yeah. podcast that you're doing right now. I mean, was this everything that you thought it was going to be? I mean, oh, with all the crew and everything else that I got here? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess I never, you know, didn't think all these guys were going to be standing here on my back deck. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just because there's no video here. Uh, right. It's just me and Dave right yeah. here. Just us. Yeah. That's what I like so much about the podcast is that it's, I just show up and sit down with people and talk to them like we used to before there were cell phones. That's right. And nobody comes with me. And, you know, a lot of the interviews cancel. And then I pretty much pick up another one, like, oh. in the same day. Cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll drop by. I'll be Let's there in a it. minute. Let's yeah. sit down and talk. And I don't know. I've been doing this now for a year. And it started as, um, actually, February 27th mm-hmm. was when the first one launched last year. And it just started as, like, just going to sit down with a couple of my friends and, and talk. And then... I've just learned so much, like talking to, to people that are interested in the same things that I'm interested in. It's incredible, like how much I've learned in a year of just basically sitting down and talking and, and sitting down and talking in a way that doesn't happen that much anymore unless you're around a campfire. Yep, it's true. Like these are the kind of conversations. What, I, what I've found is that when you put these headphones on and you hit record, it's very similar to like a late night campfire conversation. Right. It's not just making conversation to, to fill the void. You're actually having some some conversations about something that matter. Yeah. Well, you hope so. I mean, some of the okay. ones that we've done have not <laughs> been very good. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, no, no, this has been good, man. I really, I, I think uh, it's a little deeper dive into David Mangum. Oh, yeah. 
I don't know how deep we want to go. <laughs> well, uh, that's probably deep enough. Uh, that's probably cool. deep enough. But man, I appreciate you sitting down and and, Absolutely. Uh, and talking with to me. See you. Yeah, you too. Oh, man. We'll do it again. All right. All right. Thanks, see you, Dave. Tom.